Welcome to the Alchemy of Business Show with your host, Steve Rogers. The Alchemy of Business Show is a podcast that mixes practical, actionable business solutions with soulful insights for anyone seeking deeper meaning in their lives and greater success in their work. Steve will be featuring purpose-driven leaders from all walks of life and getting insight into their journeys from failures to triumphs. So tune in to transition, transform, and evolve in every dimension of your business and life. And now your host of the Alchemy of Business show, Steve Rogers. Hello and welcome to the Alchemy of Business show. I am thrilled today that you are listening in or viewing in, however you got here. We are happy that you are here. We have a phenomenal guest today who is coming to us all the way from across the world in Tuscany, Italy, and his name is Dr. Irvin Laszlo. He's a philosopher and a scientist. He's an integral theor theorist. Uh, he's a classical pianist, uh, and he's actually an advocate of quantum consciousness. Uh, Dr. Laszlo was a child prodigy from Budapest who had many, many awards and receiving uh, a grand prize for national competitions in Geneva. He went on to take his talents and uh, he's received the Sorbine's highest degree uh, in a doctorate in sciences and humanities. And he's been shifting his life as a scientist and a humani uh, humanist uh, into lecturing at universities from Yale to Princeton and all other places throughout the world over the many, many decades in which he's been doing this work. Uh, he's been doing this work then longer than some of us have actually probably been on the planet. He's been so passionate about this for so many decades that we're going to hear about. He's the author and co-author of 101 books. Can you imagine? And he's appeared in a total of 23 languages with these books. Dr. Lasso, he's also written 700 papers and articles and scientific journals, et cetera. He's a member of the Scientific Bodies and the International Academy of Science, also the World Academy of Arts and Science. And he was elected a member of the Hungary Academy of Science in 2010. He's also the recipient of various honors and awards, including an honorary PhD from the United States, Canada, Finland, and Hungary. And Dr. Laszlo received the Goya Award, the Japan Peace Prize in 2001, and also the Peace Prize in 2000, uh, excuse me, 2006. And he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize in 2004 and 2005. Now, how many people can you say you've met or heard that have been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize? This is obviously a clear message that Dr. Laszlo is doing his work in the world, helping better everyone. So I want to invite to the show and welcome him, uh, Dr. Laszlo. Thank you for being here. Steve, I'm happy to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. We are so thrilled that you are here. Let's talk about a little bit about how you even got started. Once you land out on this planet, you got into your body as a soul, you're toddling around and all of a sudden you realize you have an inkling for the piano. Let's start there in the early days when your fingers first started touch, touching a piano. And when did you realize you had an, uh, a, a gifted talent for that? I didn't realize it. Nobody asked me. <laughs> what, what, what I should be doing and what my future should be. It's just my mother, who was a, a piano professor and very ambitious herself to become a concert pianist, but she started in life too late in her teens to practice, you know, music. Her, her own parents were not so musical. And so she could make it into a concert pianist, but she had a son, that's me, and she wanted that son to become a concert pianist. So when I was five years old, she started teaching me. And at, at age four, they tried, but I didn't allow the teaching to go. And I said, I know better. At five, I could follow teachings. And when she started teaching me, it just turned out that I had a talent, an unusual talent for, for music, for piano. 
often she would start a, a piece and I would continue playing it. It just it somehow I, I downloaded it spontaneously, many things. I never really learned very well to read a, a, a sheet music, you know. I played everything by ear. And wow, that is amazing. Soon I played, at age seven, I started playing concerts. At age, age nine, I had a debut concert with my Hungarian Philharmonic Orchestra. So it just turned out. And I said, I didn't do it. I didn't try to do it. It just happened that way. And nobody asked me what I want. Nobody thought I would do anything but be a concert pianist until I was sort of in the mid-20s. Mid then I started thinking a little bit further about what I want to do. That's fascinating. Well, I can't, I'm trying to envision a seven-year-old boy at in front of an audience playing with that pressure. I have a six-year-old grandson, and I know sometimes he gets nervous when he's even in front of his school having to sing with a group. <laughs> so I'm envisioning you being a little seven-year-old at a piano with everyone listening to you. Do you think that that performing in front of an audience and having to be uh, learning to be such a perfectionist about art and talent and bringing this together, added to your later years in either lecturing or being in front of people or understanding that uh, your music or your message was the center of attention? Do you think that helped in your later evolution? Well, not so much ex the external circumstances, but the experience. The experience is music, you know. When you play it, you enter into another dimension. And when you play it for a public, and even if you play it for a bigger public, that's fabulous. And you start resonating with the people. So the experience of music, which is experience of harmony, of fullness, of, of oneness, all of those sort of things. Perfection in a way. If you're playing great music, still to this day, if I play Mozart or Schubert or Haydn, you know, it's it's or Bartok even. Now that's experience that uh, that caught me, that got to me, that's an experience that one gets hooked on, you know. And that's what I was seeking also when I shifted from a, a professional concert pianist to an academic and then to an activist. I was looking for that perfection, for that experience. Uh, and I'm looking for it, still looking for it in theory, in science, and in human experience. That's uh, it's a, it's a quest for perfection. It's a quest for wholeness. It has been my privilege to, to have that experience from the age of five, six, seven, actually very more explicitly from the age of nine. That's very powerful. Well, I think it's there's no coincidence in my view that the music, which is, a, like you said, it's harmony and it transcends all people of all religions, races. And when someone hears music, it doesn't matter where they're at on the planet or what their background is. There's something that connects us to the truth of that and to the beauty of that and the harmony of that. And so as you went on to do further work, it's kind of interesting that you're still doing this musical harmony of trying to bring harmony and vibration of a higher consciousness to the world. So your music has led into this life work that you've done. So in climbing the, the, the academic ladder and being very uh, smart about your studies and learning about uh, the importance of education. When did you start tying the message of being in the world to not only a many people do work where they do their craft and it's about you know making money, they make a living, they might you know bring up a family and then they focus on themselves and their own lives. When did you realize that you had this calling to bring a message of elevating uh, people to a higher consciousness versus working just in a craft that you might be a, a, a professor or a pianist. When did you realize this activist to go out and stuff happened for you? At what age? 
kind of actually realized it. It, 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 it moved on like this. I mean, I, I've always wanted to pursue a dream, a dream which is fullness of dream, which is part of something larger than I am. And this developed more and more until it became an overwhelming passion. But, uh, you know, uh, I started playing concerts more and more seriously. When I was 15, I got to, to, to the U.S. I had a, a New York, my debut, to which the uh, New York Times said that I have few peers of, of, among pianists of any age in the world, they said. And it led to articles in Life magazine at that time, in newsreels and all the sort of things, a big hullabaloo in New York as my debut when I was 15. And that put me on track as, as a concert pianist. You know, so it's not just a private uh, personal satisfaction that I was seeking. I was then on, on track on the, uh, the world of professional music, highly competitive world. I was launched on that. I didn't stay with that after five or six years. I decided, no, I want to do something deeper than, than, than seeking uh, public per approval and acclaim. And so I started looking into philosophy and, and, and reading science and philosophy. And, you know, and I ended up having a degree from the Sorbonne, from the University of Paris, the highest degree. But I never went to the Sorbonne. I, ne I never went to any, any college school or, or any college after the age of 15 when I left Hungary. I did all that on my own uh, because it's, it's just my interest carried forward. When I got my, uh, my recognition, sort of the public recognition, came in terms of getting rec uh, recognition as a, as an, as a, as a scientist, as a, as a philosopher, getting an honorary degree uh, first from the Sorbonne, which qualified me for getting the regular degree afterwards, which is a higher level degree from Paris. And that put me into Yale University and, and then up to Princeton and other places in New York, New York State. So this is something that grew. It's not something that I consciously planned. I went along with it because I was seeking a dream. I was seeking the dream of harmony, of oneness, of being part of. Some people do it by being spiritual means, but some people do it by religion. Some people seeking through poetry or art or dance or, or any of the other methods. I sought it through, first through piano, through the music, and then through my research on to science and philosophy. The research that, that centered on the idea of evolution, evolving something higher, moving from one step of a ladder to the higher step as being a goal, a goal that I want to pursue in life and I want to help others to pursue because that is, is to be our positive destiny. That's something started with me, not so consciously, but became more and more conscious. And that is still the predominant ideal that I have, the predominant motivation for doing what I do. It's firm belief that we are here to evolve and to help others evolve. Life on earth is a sacred dimension and we are here to pursue the fullness of life, the satisfaction of life, the wholeness of, of, of life. And, and that is our mission. So I'm very happy to pursue that. I never asked why I had to do that. I, I got to do it and I managed to survive me and my family by becoming then also a teacher at the university. 
and later on publishing books and so on. But I, I didn't do it for any purpose other than this satisfaction of trying to, to maintain, to promote the evolution of consciousness. That is a formulation that I came up with much, much later, of course. But if I look back, that's what I've always sought, a higher level of consciousness, so I could live, live a richer life and help others to, re to lead such a life themselves. Yeah, that's powerful. Well, I really powerful. Well, this I, that's probably one of the reasons that the uh, universe pulled us together, this power of like attracts like. And I've been passionate and a student of this work and thinking for many years and a lot of different teachers. And now you understanding that what you just said about this harmony of life that we all seek and this higher consciousness and this evolution to being more than we think we might be in the moment in a dream of where we want to go in this feeling of fulfillment and this feeling of wholeness. Um, and I think that's a powerful message that you have dedicated your life to. And it, it, it's, it's like music to my ears. So just like you were talking about music, what you're talking about, I think all human beings can resonate with. I, I've had the, the pleasure of traveling different places on the planet and either speaking or working or for you know, luxury travel and, I've, uh, and for sometimes backpack travel into jungles. And I realize no matter where I go, all human beings want what you're talking about. They want love. They want connection. They want to have a purpose. They want to know they have meaning. They want to know they're making a contribution. They want their families to be protected and safe and for them to have even a brighter future. So no matter where I go, this message resonates, which is exactly what you're talking about. And you term this, this uh, at some point in your career, started terming this in a lot of different books and different phrases. But the, the one that I'm uh, focused on in this next question is something you call the upshift movement. So on the upshift movement, let's talk about how that phrasing and that concept came about. And when people hear about the upshift movement, what is it? And how can they be involved in the movement of the upshift movement? Okay, well, first of all, the notion of upshift is nothing metaphysical or purely out of the ordinary. I think it's part of a natural process. The way I look at it is that we are in the midst of an evolutionary stream an evolutionary phase that accelerated, moves faster than it ever did, because we are reaching critical thresholds. We are reaching thresholds for the well-being and flourishing of life on Earth. And we have got to assure that we continue on that direction by changing, actually, what we do and how we do it, but, change, but moving forward toward, toward flourishing together, toward becoming one with, the, with life on Earth and in the universe. So I, I, I believe that this is something which is there in everyone, as you say, Steve. It's everybody has this inner urge toward a higher level of feeling and being and acting, but not everybody realizes it consciously. The evolution, the evolutionary impetus. I talk about these days, I, the last few days, about the holotropic attractor, you know, what I mean is an evolutionary force. You know, young people greet each other in Star Wars, let the force, may the force be with you, you know, as yes. a standard. <clears throat> I say, yes, there is a force that is with us. It's not recognized. In science, it's beginning to be recognized. Now science is beginning to recognize that the known laws of science are not sufficient to have developed the level of evolution, the level of coherence and complexity that we find on Earth. 21.7 billion years since the Big Bang are not enough statistically 
to have developed this level of coherence in the in space and time as we find something else moved us in that direction yes. and that something else is as powerful as any physical attraction is it's it's the power of be, being one becoming one in a popular and and, and a very meaningful way you could say is the power of love love not as a romantic uh, superficial attachment or even physical attachment it's love as an unconditional sense of belonging together belonging together all life is is one one enormous wave moving forward on this planet and, and probably in myriad other planets on the on earth so yes. this is really this is really the movement forward evolution and i am i have devoted my life the past few years to provide a scientific basis understanding how there could be that impetus which i now call practically a sacred task to follow the one of or feeling of oneness, feeling of whole, uh, following wholeness, the sensation of wholeness, which is the basis of the religions and of the spiritual world, and it's becoming now the basis of the new sciences. Certainly, it's there in the new quantum physics, in quantum psychology, quantum biology, belongingness, no separation. It's all basically one individual, yes, individual in, individuality but within the framework of connection and of a joining together in a larger whole, which moves toward a higher and higher level of being, feeling, thinking, a higher consciousness. Yeah, that's, that is so powerful. And it is this harmony and this oneness that, as you said, some of us are conscious of it and some are not. But once you become conscious of it, you can no longer unknow it. Once you know it, and then the calling for me seems to come even stronger and stronger and stronger when you're tapping into this consciousness. So let's talk about that a minute. How can people that are listening, maybe not fully conscious of this yet, these might need to be new concepts, how can they start learning about this? I know you have many, many books you've written. We have some screenshots of some of the many books you've written. I know you have videos and podcasts, but if someone was wanting to start this journey of opening up their consciousness to a higher oneness or higher power, do you have one of your books or one of the places you would recommend they start at the beginning of their journey, either from some of your work or other work that people could really start learning their own path to discovery? Well, I have one book explicitly on that. There are several other books uh, dealing with the whole idea of, of evolution and of oneness and all that. But I have uh, I've come up with this concept. I thought of giving an identity to this whole movement on this whole idea. And I came up with the concept of upshift. My basic idea is this. We live in, an, in the midst of an evolutionary, accelerated evolutionary frame. And this evolutionary frame is a fluctuation. It has periods of upshift and periods of downshift. We are moving through a period of heavy downshift. And we are now in the position where we are beginning to change the direction and moving back up again. So I thought to give an identity to this change, I talk about shifting to upshift, beginning to upshift. So I wrote a book uh, last year published last year, which was called The, the Upshift. I'm going to publish in April another book uh, called uh, the, the Upshift Imperative, The Survival Imperative, Upshifting to a Conscious Evolution. And then 
I'm still another book coming, The Upshift Imperatives, which I co-authoring with David Lorimer. And then I'm doing webs, webinars and websites and, and, and uh, podcasts and so on. This notion of, of upshift is not something out of nature. It is part of nature. Evolution on this earth is non-linear. This much we know. It's full of fluctuations. You look at the evolution of businesses, I'm sure that I have, you have looked at, then you also find that there are periods of, of success, periods when everything runs, periods when things are getting close to collapse and have to be renewed and changed. This is a non-local and non-linear process that we call evolution. It moves in a given direction, but it gives in, it moves in a very non-smooth, non uh, fluctuating, uh, non-linear way. Now the question is how to survive the downshift into which we have gotten, how not to continue on this, because if we would continue, this earth would not be habitable by human beings, by higher forms of life, in a matter of a couple of decades. This is, comes from the ICPP, the International Panel for Climate Change, comes with all scientific bodies or, uh, investigating this. It also comes, I think, from conscious business leaders and conscious uh, civic leaders who know that we have got to change if we are going to avoid collapse. It's a serious position, <clears throat> serious moment. We have got to survive this downshift phase and to start an upshift. The upshift would naturally come. It rebalances what has gone before. I don't believe that we are doomed. We have the chance to move out of this phase. We are beginning to move out. My newest book on this, this survival imperative, uh, it, it attached to it a survey that I've done with, with friends, colleagues of mine, of business and other organizations who are who really considered upshifting already. The, the upshift catalog, we call it. And there is good grant for, say, for saying, and I'm sure in your experience with, with conscious business also, it's good grant to say that this is not a hopeless quest. The upshift as such has already started. We have got to manage it, support it, so that it doesn't get bogged down, doesn't get destroyed or damaged by the threat of, of, of an increasingly difficult environment, increasingly hostile powers between people against people, with war and violence happening, with, with, with uh, the entire uh, uh, pioneering, uh, the entire cause of uh, people escaping, trying to escape and becoming refugees, and how to help, help with those one billion refugees that we are likely to have on Earth before very long. All of these matters, all of these changes that are in front of us, all of these perspectives, the challenges to survive them and then at the same time move into the positive direction, a positive where we are not out for ourselves in a short-term basis, we are out to live together and to create a better life, living within the ambit, within the lap of nature and not outside of it not super, super uh, trying to superior or, or to, uh, to uh, what's, what's the word I want, trying, trying to overcome nature by synthetic artificial means, but live within nature, live within evolution. The great teacher is Gaia, the system of life on this planet. We have to stay as part of it. We are part of it. 
as we keep popping out of it, we keep reorganizing the, the whole system according to short-term goals, just quick profits for once for ourselves, power power really centered on in ever fewer uh, fewer hands. This is these selfish short-term aspirations can destroy the wholeness of this whole of this process. So we've got to move move down to being part of nature. That means moving up to higher consciousness, to be part of it. William James, you know, the great psychologist and, and philosopher said, the religious experience, because he wrote a whole book on the religious experiences, is the experience of being part of something larger than yourself. That's the experience of, I think, of any true leader who feels that he is, he or she is doing something which is more than just pursuing his or her own private ends. There is nothing private in business. There is nothing private in society. We are all together. We are a public species operating within the, uh, within the system of, 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 of life on planet. We are making it together. We can only make it together. And Deepak Chopra said in, in, in his endorsement of my latest book, which will be published in April, he said, the upshift, he said, only the upshift can save us. I, I don't know what about the others. Certainly, I think the upshift can save us. The upshift means re rediscovering that we are part of an evolutionary movement. And I'm trying to help people rediscover that. That's why I created what we call the WUM, the W-U-M the World Upshift Movement, where people can join. We very soon will be opening a website. We had an yeah, experimental website already. We are launching. February 21 is the date when we formally launched the Upshift, World Upshift Movement in a big meeting in, in, in England, in London. So this will gradually become more and more available and visible. And I'm dedicating my life and my ambition to making people aware that we can upshift, we can do it together, we must do it together, and we can join together. There's already a framework which is now being developed for joining, for allowing people to join so they don't have to dig up for themselves the, all the various links. This is already something into which they can, not anything that they will oblige them to do, that they, that they, that they, they, they conduct them to do this or force them something. It's, it's something that allows them to, to unfold their own deeper purpose, to live together in harmony and in peace, in sustainability. Yes, absolutely. Well, so powerful. I mean, what you just said there, we could go back and really dig deep into all of those things for hours. On You had so many awesome topics there that are so true to humanity, spirituality, science, etc. This thing about the the phrasing of being part of something grander, being something of more, being of higher purpose. I found in my work, whether I'm working with students, uh, middle management, uh, or executives or entrepreneurs, that at some point people realize that the thrill of chasing money or chasing status or chasing fame ultimately has emptiness in it. And what they're really yearning for is this connection to something where there is a difference, being part of something grander than themselves. And I think that is this underlying essence that we all as humans coming on the planet have this. And once we tap into that, unfolding our own talents, like you did with your music and being a pianist and a scientist, 
all of us on the planet have a contribution to make. And as we evolve our talents, this is about allowing an individual to be in their full expression of their best self that fits into the mosaic and the puzzle of the planet. And there are days and weeks and months that we all probably sometimes feel hopeless when we listen to the news and with climate change and politics and war and poverty and the unjust in the world. But I have come to realize that all of that is part and necessary, just like the yin and yang sign that was from thousands of years ago about this higher and lower energy. All of those things are important for us as individuals. We do that in our own life. We have ups and downs. We have flows that we go through, but hopefully we're evolving to this higher good even when we have our downturns. And so as a planet, I see that happening as well. And sometimes it feels like we're in the downturn and we're clearly also partially in an upturn. And sometimes we can feel the momentum that we're, that we're on the way up. So this upshift movement is so powerful just to realize that this is an ongoing process of humanity. It's not a destination. It's a continual evolution. Uh, and in my work, uh, the reason I chose the name Alchemy for my business, Alchemy Advisors, because it also represents change and transition and transformation in the old days of the alchemist taking lead and turning it into gold. Uh, and so in our own lives or our work uh, or in companies, figuring out what we can do to take what we perceive as lead that's heavy and potentially holding us back and possibly into gold that's perceived more value, even though lead still has value. How do we do that in our businesses? So in some of your work, not only on, we have some slides we'll be putting up, but you also have something called the Laszlo Institute. You have the upshift movement that you mentioned is forthcoming. So when people are looking to get involved in this work, um, not only can they read about it and learn about your your work and they'll start probably then being tapped into other work that other people are doing in the world because once you open your mind up to something, business leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, teachers, students, all eventually will then have their own path in which they do this. So I wanted to talk about in business specifically. Uh, the show is called The Alchemy of Business. So if business leaders are listening right now um, that are in figuring out how do I incorporate this concept into my company, into my culture, into my um, business offering. So what advice would you give to a, a young startup entrepreneur or a CEO of a large company who's looking to take the upshift consciousness into their business practices? Right, these two groups that you just mentioned, but I find the most ardent supporters of a new paradigm in business. Young, young entrepreneurs who are just moving in and they're willing to put in something, their time, the energy, if they have the money also, but certainly putting in the devotion. And then the mature business leader who has made it to a certain extent and now is looking for a deeper meaning. Both this upstart young eager executive and the mature individual who has turned into something more than what you have had. This idea that all the be good and, and the end good and, and the be all uh, and all of all things is just profit, profit for one's own private purposes, or private enterprise. <clears throat> Suppose the idea of profit and of private need to be reconsidered. I'm not asking to return to the old ideas of communism, of a public uh, uh, surveillance or a public way uh, of conducting business. For heaven's sake, no, get away from all the bureaucracy and short-sightedness that's, that's I mean, the power hunger that was involved there. But there, realize also that there is truly nothing truly separate. We know this from quantum physics. We now know this also in our collective experience. We are not separate from the rest of the world. One business is not separate from others. Separation, said Einstein, is an illusion. 
and this comes through from the new sciences, from the quantum sciences, it's also becoming the experience. We are part of a larger whole. Now, if, if, if you espouse that as our goal, as our, in the, as our ambition, aspiration on life, to contribute to that larger whole, we'll do well for ourselves. If we just do for ourselves as private, we're not necessarily advancing the bigger whole. You know, some years ago, there was a congressional inquiry into General Motors, and at that time, the, the chairman of General Motors had and his congressional testimony said, oh, how, how do you pursue the good of General, of General Motors? Or how can you know that? He said, what's good for General Motors is good for America. This assurance. I would say the reverse is also true. What's truly good for America is good for General Motors and for our company. But if you just look at one company, we may be out exploiting the others around us in a way that is not good for them. We are sub-optimizing, that's really the term one can use. The, the system that we need to optimize is the whole system of life on Earth, within which the system of human life, human society, within which is the system of business within human society. But the system of life on Earth is basically the system that we need to devote our attention to that we need to optimize for the best possible way of moving forward. Then we are approaching a deeper spiritual and scientific calling that we are only now realizing that what is good for the whole is good for the part. It's an old, old saying in, 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 in the philosophy of science going back to the beginning of the 20th century. And now we're recognizing that truly indeed what is good for the whole system is good for everything around it, including the environment of the system, because we are part of holes, we are part of holes, we are part of holes. So ultimate, the ultimate whole is Gaia, is the system of life, I keep saying that. If there is, there is life elsewhere well in the universe, which, I hope, which I'm sure there is, and if we create contact, establish contact, and the larger whole will be that larger, that, that system, that interplanetary system, as science fiction tells us. <clears throat> For now, I think the, the greater whole of which we need to devote our attention to, that we need to optimize, is the system of life within which the system of human humankind, of the human species, can, can live, can survive, and can evolve. That is the, the big, big lesson. Business is not for itself, it's for the system of life. Nobody dictates that it's not for a, for a private authority of any kind. It's for nature, for the universe. The universe brought forth evolution, the evolution of life on Earth. And our task is to serve that evolution because that's what who we are. We are part of an evolving system and ourselves we are part of evolution. We are evolving systems. That is a realization. Once I've had that realization, everything makes sense. You have a very easy and ready reference. Is this good or is it not good? Is this the way to go or not the way to go? Ask yourself, does it serve the evolution of the system of life? Or does it, is it nothing is indifferent? There's no such thing as being indifferent to it because everything is connected. But is it perhaps contrary to the evolution of life, subverting it in some way? We have been subverting the system of life 
throughout the last 200, 250 years, especially the last 50 to 70 years, with artificial methods exceeding the bounds of what is natural. Nowadays, there is science showing that there are boundaries of life on Earth. Uh, one of the research shows nine such typical planetary boundaries, boundaries, and five of these nine boundaries have already been overstepped. If you keep doing that, you see, we are, we are subverting the entire system. We destroy the integrity of the system. So it's time to turn around, getting back to ourselves, to nature, to the universe. That is moving forward. That is not going down, that is going forward. But it's at, this, at the same time, it's recovering an ancient wisdom. Ancient traditional people, indigenous people, have known that they are part of something larger. They have phrased it in different terms, but it's there. It's there in the teaching of Jesus. It's, it's there in the Tao, in all the great sacred teachings of, 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 of East and West and South. So it's time to recover it in science itself, in the sciences themselves. What is good for the whole is good for each of its parts. Yes, I love that. What's good for the whole is good for each of its parts. And that is so true. The circle of life and the way we all fit into this universal uh, nature and the way the world is made up. So that's just so beautiful. And we only have a few minutes left here, but I, I just am so impacted by what you talk about because it resonates at such truth. So for those of you that are listening in, please make sure you're checking out the show notes to, to learn more about Dr. Laszlo's work. We're going to have just a few more minutes, but I want to make sure you know how to reach and find out more about the Upshift movement, to find more about Dr. Laszlo, to find more about the Laszlo Institute. We'll be having more information on this on our own shows and in our own work because it resonates fully with what I believe as a leader, being back as a CEO of a Warren Buffett company and realizing when I was in corporate America, how could I make a difference and make an impact within the ecosystem that existed, even though it was decades, decades old with its own structures, I had to bring my own element of my own truth and what's good for the whole is good for the individual parts. And so I did that in a corporate company. As an entrepreneur running my own companies, I made sure I always was focusing on doing well by doing good, and that's being of service to others. And as the entrepreneurs I work with now, as Dr. Laszlo said, I do believe it's a, a more obvious um, awareness of younger entrepreneurs that are coming in and starting businesses or leaving companies and starting businesses that really are having this yearning for higher purpose. And at the beginning of their companies, they're looking to make this doing well by doing good and being of service to the world, whether it's the environment, better uh, for diversity, better for opportunity, better for uh, the 99% versus the 1%. I'm also seeing that, Dr. Laszlo, in my work, and it's very encouraging. I'm also seeing it in, in companies that are established brand names that are uh, out of either pain or out of uh, public pressure are doing more internally within their companies to create more also for diversity, fairness to their employees, better products that serve the planet that aren't going to destroy our ecosystem. So I'm seeing that this is happening. It's definitely a slow evolution, but with the planet being millions of years old and hopefully millions of years ahead, what we can do in this snapshot of our lifespan that we have for our kids, grandkids, and future generations is to really respect, if we really do respect children and that we love children and our family, what we can do to serve them the most is some of the things you're talking about to help better the planet. So for now and future generations, this is more of an awareness that's more common versus a minority of thinking. So um, in, the, in the last few minutes here, I, I wanted to find out what any closing thoughts or comments you had. And if you would be able to tie it into 
what I'm intrigued by is, again, uh, the science and the spirituality. So I guess in the closing comments, my question is, how do you define your own spirituality? And you've already mentioned in the show that science and spirituality are finding that they're, they're not so uh, counter-opposed, that there is this collaborative. So I'm just curious, for us that are on your closing comments, spirituality and science, and then what can people do to help make the, the most immediate contribution to upshift movement um, and, and do uh, more for your, your cause? Listen to yourself. Follow your own star. It's in you. I'm talking to everybody who's concerned, uh, all the young people, all, all business leaders as well. Evolution is in us. We are all evolving beings, not fiction, not science fiction or any kind of fiction. This is a universe that's constantly in evolution. Now it's in a particular fast phase, accelerated phase, and it's a dangerous phase also because we can become extinct in a matter of a few decades. This is scientific shown. We are in a period of the sixth mass extinction right now. You know, it's the, the whole the human species, not any higher species, doesn't have the built-in stability that will survive anything. It can only survive in in relation, in in in, co in coordinate relationship, in harmony with its environment. And our environment is now a planetary environment. Have you noticed that the news is moving from the local level, from the from the municipal level, from the state level, from the even from the regional level to the global level? The news are always what is how is humanity responding? What are we doing about climate? What are we doing about violence? What are we doing about the refugees? These are all now moving onto the level of a global of a global system that is trying to adjust itself to live and to flourish on this small planet. The processes are very fast. We can gain, we can shift up very fast to a new wavelength, to a new paradigm. And because my institute is called the New Paradigm Research, we think it all this calls for a new mindset, new way of looking at the world, which comes from the sciences, but it's applied here in everyday, in everyday life, in business as well. The new paradigm of wholeness and of, of cooperation with, with man and nature, with human beings and nature. So I think we are all being together in this. We have to recognize if we are not to become extinct, which we could become very fast, if we are really to step up, shift up to the next level, then we have got to change now. And fortunately, that's the last thing I want to add to our conversation today. Fortunately, we are in a crisis. And a crisis is the womb of innovation. All the great steps forward in human existence, in human life, and in the way we handle each other, have come about through periods of crisis. Periods when the, when the, order of these, uh, the dead hand, the heavy hand of the past is lifting, and many things become possible that were not possible before. The old is being weakened. The way toward the new is being opened. We are living in the most exciting period. Then this is not just a local process, it's a global process. Now, for humanity, we can move forward. Let's use as triggers war and violence, environmental catastrophe. All of those things can be triggers to overcome 
what we have been before and to become something new and better. The challenge is here. We can't respond to it. The question is becoming conscious of it, that we are the architects of the future. That's what I mean by conscious evolution, evolving consciousness, consciously towards wholeness and oneness and ultimately love. Well, ending on a word of love is always a great place to stop. So Dr. Laszlo, so powerful. Thank you again for reminding us about being our own star and how we can contribute to the world. We've got scrolling at the bottom of the screen here, worldupshift.org. We'll be having that in our show notes. Uh, Laszlo Institute. Also, there's also a slide we have here about contacting and learning more about this great, great message that is not only part of humanity and, in my opinion, part of our obligation as human beings showing up and being of service mm -hmm. is what the rent is we pay on the planet. So being part of this path or any path that people are on of doing well and creating higher consciousness in their own lives and their business. So thank you for reminding all of us of that. Thank you for helping us have a path to understand more about it. And thank you for dedicating your life of the many decades that you have been serving others and continue to serve others with this great cause. It obviously exudes through you like your music does. And I, and I get the feeling that this is your other form of great uh, a, a, a music that you are writing at, for all of us to, to hear, listen, and be a part of and enjoy and contribute to uh, in the orchestra. So thank you everyone for listening in here on the Alchemy of Business show. We will be having more in the future with Dr. Laszlo. Uh, and again, please check out worldupshift.org. We appreciate you listening in on the Alchemy of Business show. And if you like what you're hearing, you like the show, please click uh, the, uh, the like button and also maybe do a re review for us on the Apple iTunes would be awesome. Thank you again for listening in. Do well, do good, prosper and serve others. Thank you all. And that concludes this episode of The Alchemy of Business with your host, Steve Rogers. If you found value in today's broadcast, please consider liking, subscribing, sharing with friends, and leaving a review. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next Thursday for another episode. Be blessed, and see you soon.